0: Talking about the things that make your home service business go marketing, finance, systems, people. This is the Fight Club for Business Podcast.
1: Welcome to Fight Club for Business, the show for home service business owners looking to improve their marketing, finances, systems, and culture. We're a team of uh, self-employed industry experts, and this week we get to be joined by Rob Treppendahl. Thank you so much for joining us, Rob. Thanks for having me. Um, Can you just kind of give our listeners a brief rundown of yourself, your background, and your business?
2: Okay. I (laughs) could do like the three-minute or like the 12-minute. Or you can do somewhere (laughs) in between. Let's
1: try and go three. (laughs) Okay,
2: three minutes. Okay, so I live in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, down in the south. Um, I started the business when I was 24, 23, fresh out of college, went to Ole Miss, studied business, and didn't know anything about anything at all. Studied business, but of course, that doesn't really get you anywhere, especially Ole Miss. I mean, come on. And so came home with this idea that I was going to not work for the man. I'm going to start my own thing. I'm going to do my own thing. I come from a family of business owners. And so my dad let me run a family tree farm. Uh, oh. Oh. And that didn't go very well. There was just it was a very small market. The trees were too big to sell. I eventually realized landscaping is the way to go. People were asking me, Can you do this? Can you do that? And I was like, oh yeah, sure. And so I dove into that just with no idea of what to do. But I started working for friends for free and just figuring it out and getting on YouTube and started building the business. I've always been a good salesman. I did Cutco uh when I was in high school and I was like, oh dang, I have a skill. Wasn't very athletic. Wasn't couldn't like perform like all my friends could. But I was like, I could sell knives,
0: and so that
2: that informed my uh, idea to be a businessman. Anyway, I grew the company for for a while, uh, just kind of bootstrapping, figuring things out. Had a major turning point in 2016 when I was in almost half a million dollars in debt and had grown the company pretty large and got in trouble. Went to a NASCAR race, Talladega. Uh, met another landscaper there who changed my life, told me this is how you need to do things. It changed everything in business, changed everything in my life. I implemented a lot of things that he said, um, and I was able to take my business from working 90 hours a week and majorly losing money, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, to now got it down to probably, you know, two to four hours of work, of essential work, and I'm about to move 700 miles away from my company. So that's the that's the stick of it
1: that's the elevator pitch right there <laughs> we right. got the quick one <laughs> that's
2: it yeah it's it's so the I, i'm in landscaping and the biggest change that we implemented um when i met garrett who's a buddy of mine that i ran into at the talladega uh race was putting fertilization and weed control into it and starting to simplify and kind of go with that maintenance model that's when i brought service autopilot and all those kinds of things so you know, for a while I grew it and I was trying to be this big, sexy business that was doing all these big, cool projects and feeling like a badass. And then I realized, Oh wait, this is actually needs to be about profitability and about lifestyle and not about just trying to be cool. And, um, so when I finally started systemizing and simplifying and looking at the bottom line, things began to change, not overnight, but you know, everything started adding up and then eventually, um, Eventually, I got some time back with my wife and my kids, and now we can travel. And um, things are very different.
1: Awesome. Well, I think I think I heard a piece of everything that each three three of us want to talk to you about. In that, drop
2: some hints. Yeah.
1: Elevator pitch, right there. So I am super excited to talk to you. And what I will talk to you about today, Rob, is marketing. So for those who are new to the show or returning listeners, my name is Taylor Moroni. I co-own a power washing company and paper sealing company in South Florida with my husband, and. My my real love is helping business owners understand the numbers behind marketing. So when you get that data back from a company that you're working with, being able to read that accurately and then make better decisions based upon that, because I feel like that's a piece that's missing a lot when it comes to marketing. Unfortunately, it doesn't get relayed properly. So that's what I love to do and excited to be back on Fight Club. And happy Tuesday, everyone. And
0: we're going to skip Megan because she's blown today. We can't she today. She is. Okay. Um, so then we'll go right to me, Robin. I'm Michelle Myers, co-owner of Pink Collars. We put admins and office managers in your uh, home service business remotely. I'm also the proud owner of a flooring, a floor coatings company with my husband, Doug, and thrilled to hear all the systems and pieces that you put in place to make yourself and the business go to the next level. So welcome to Fight Club.
2: Thank you very much.
0: <laughs> and I am Martha Woodward.
3: I owned a maid service for 13 years and a lot of that I had to be remote because it was a hundred miles away. Um, and then I went through cancer through part of that and was too sick to go down there. And, uh, so I, I totally get the making it a lifestyle business and, um, and I will also say, Rob, I got an MBA and, um, When I started my business, I do nothing about business from that MBA, so I get you. Also co-founder of Quality Driven Software, Employee Performance Software, and that's enough about me. So Tay, take it away for marketing.
1: You got it. Well, Rob, what I want to talk to you about is I know we briefly mentioned some uh, new business ventures, which is going into a little bit of consulting, and I know when consulting for and helping other business owners, a lot of struggle sometimes does come from the marketing area. They don't really know where to go, where to start, depending on the size of their business, what type of avenue of marketing and lead generation to branch into. So I kind of wanted to pick your brain on that and really see kind of what your thought process is when it does come to a person. Let's say they're, you know, a company that's say, making about 250000 300000 a year right now, and they're wanting to grow, expand, and really bring in more business. What type of marketing ventures would you be kind of talking with them about considering, recommending?
2: Okay, great question. And so we're talking about home service businesses, things like, you know, cleaning, landscaping, that kind of stuff, correct? Yeah,
1: you can feel free. If you want to keep it landscaping, that works for me, because it's kind of what you know and love. So that works for me.
2: Okay, so... I'll tell you what we did when we were that size and some things we're using now. At that size, I think the most untapped one is Nextdoor.
0: Ooh, Nextdoor is incredible. Awesome.
2: <laughs> and so <clears throat> this is kind of a secret sauce here. So the way that I use Nextdoor now, and what I used a few years ago is I use it even, and this is free, this is this is great. If you want free marketing, I use, this is. I, I'm doing this right now. I did this yesterday. I get on Nextdoor in my neighbor because I live in my, my service area, and mm-hmm. which is very helpful. And so I'll get on Nextdoor about every month, and I'll do a post that'll say, hey, neighbors, you know, just a heads up right now. There's a lot of button weed showing up in your yards, this and that. This is a tip. Um, use this product called MSM. It's a really great product for killing it. And this is a rate that I recommend. And if you have any trouble, hold on one second, let me clear my throat. <clears>
0: throat>
2: If you're having some trouble with it, you know, feel free to reach out with any lawn or landscape questions. And then I sign it like, your neighborhood turf nerd. Ooh. I don't – I never – <clears throat> I never say, look at me. I have a landscaping company. I never say, you know, call me. We can get you a quote. Never. I just say, look, happy to answer any lawn or landscape questions, you know, whatever. And so but once a month, I'm putting myself out there as a friendly, helpful neighbor. Ooh. And it, it blows up. It goes viral every time. I get I 50 – Comments, posts, whatever. Then all of a sudden, always people start messaging me. Oh, Rob, you have a landscape coming. it's amazing. <laughs> this literally happens. I do this once a month or maybe every six weeks. I don't want to. I don't want to be in. You know, too much in people's face. It's right. it, It's highly effective because I'm not pushy. So that is like a secret weapon that anybody can use at a small level. Now I also use Nextdoor. I do the paid Nextdoor ads too, and I don't know. I spend maybe. Uh, 300 $400 a month, maybe we're at 1000 right now, I don't really know. Um, I mean, it's busy season, so we're, we're going a little higher right now. But that is helpful, but I think it's more helpful to go organic. Now that's not super scalable, but it's a free way to get yourself out there and you're building trust and you're positioning yourself as an expert. This is kind of my general marketing angle is, I'm a nice guy, uh, so I'm friendly and I'm helpful and I know my stuff, right? And so it's the Gary Vaynerchuk, sort of like give it all away model. And then in return, people will come to you because they don't feel you're pushy and they feel like you'll help them. It's like Mr. Rogers, you know. Yes. So
0: that is my
2: overall angle of being the most helpful. People will come to us for advice. We'll just give them advice. We'll tell them how to do it themselves, knowing that, you know what? they're probably just going to hire a pro, especially they're going to hire that nice guy with the good hair. You know what I mean? That's what they call it. It just works y'all. It's just very simple. You know, I know my avatar. I know my clients, you know, it's a lot of ladies that are like 40 to 65 and you know, we do the thing and it works very well.
1: So they invite you in for coffee. Like like those type of women in the beginning, most likely to sit and chat and talk. A lot of those calls
2: after three (laughs) o'clock, it would be wine, and I'd have to decide: Do I want to do this, or is this getting weird? I sometimes would go in, sometimes I wouldn't. Uh, it never crossed too many lines. Um, no, I'm, I'm being silly. No, we kept it professional. But
0: um no,
1: it, but you're, a lot of what you talked about, which is, um, I know we kind of talked really briefly on it, but it, was education. We're not like we're not just spewing information about the business, right? we're talking education-based facts that are going to help your neighborhood and local community. And that's where I feel like a lot of the marketing kind of slips sometimes for business owners that are in that phase of really wanting to grow. They wanna be aggressive and go about the marketing in a very aggressive format, which is great. But if we're not really dialed in on, like you said, your customer avatar, who we wanna work with, then we can't properly educate them because we don't know what they need, right? Mm -hmm. So how did you get to that point of like knowing exactly what your customer was needing? to then educate them.
2: So this sort of angle, I learned from my buddy Garrett, Garrett Matthews. Um, and so he's a guy I ran into at the Talladega race. And so I kind of watched his, his modeling and it just made sense to me. And, I, and also reading a book called Story Brand by Donald Miller, um, mm-hmm. just kind of like different books where you're positioning yourself as, so here's the marketing thing for anybody listening who's kind of new at marketing. It's oftentimes business owners will position themselves as the hero right? But that's the problem is that the, the client has to be the hero. And so understanding this idea that the whole goal is to make the client, make Miss Jones, this 55-year-old lady whose husband is a business owner, whose kids are in college, we have to make her look good to her friends. That's the goal. Whereas so many business owners are like, look at me, look at my business, look how big we are, look how cool we are, look at our trucks. It's like, nobody cares about your trucks. What they care about is how they can feel good about themselves, how they can have Uh, a better yard, how their front yard will look better when they have friends over for cocktails. If you can speak to that. Hey, Miss Jones, are you tired of having an embarrassing yard? Is Weed and Feed not working for you? Guess what, we have a solution for you. We can make it super easy, we can make it super simple, and it actually doesn't cost that much, and we can just click here and we'll make your life easy. And so when we kind of started to understand that messaging, our marketing really started to work because we were speaking to problems they're having right now and so dial, dialing that in now the big thing that we use is facebook that's our gold um, and it's a little bit more complicated uh to you know than the next door or other things like that but that is probably 80 percent of our ad spend is facebook mainly videos same thing diy 30 to 90 second videos usually around 65 seconds hey this is what's going on in your yard right now here here's a tip of how to do it if you need help you know uh hit, hit the get a quote button right now so we that's right. the, mainly the way that we're driving traffic to our to our uh, business but uh next door is kind of one way we do google adwords we do a few different things but facebook has been our bread and butter
1: okay why don't you touch on facebook but before i do drew had a good question about how many different buyer personas or avatars right which is what we were just talking about and what you were explaining would you kind of recommend when being intentional about it is it you know are you looking at like two or three are we looking at really just one persona what uh, when you got to that point were you really landing on just that one when we were really going after you know mrs jones and bringing her cocktail guest over
2: yeah i think i kind of stay i mainly stay there you know i know that the vast majority of my clients so like on facebook i advertise to people who are 34 and up um but right. i realized that probably 80 percent of my clients are probably 55 and up because there's just not that many people. That I only advertise one service, which is fertilization and weed control. We do a lot of other stuff, but it's our gateway service. And I also know that a lot of people don't care or don't need that service. It's not an essential service. It's about having a yard that looks better than other people's yards and weed control. And most young folks don't really care about that. They're too busy chasing their kids around and things like that. So I realized this is mainly an older crowd and it's, it's a wealthier crowd. Um, if, if you're making you know, 30 grand a year, you don't care about this service. But if you if you got a you know you got a five hundred thousand dollar house, you want to look better than your neighbor. Yeah. And so, like our tagline is, <clears throat> "Green grass, dead weeds, jealous neighbors." So that's what we're trying. That's exactly what we're trying to provide for people. We're appealing to, van- yeah. <laughs> we appeal question. to vanity. We appeal to pride. I mean what we're trying to help people is to not be embarrassed about their yard so to answer your question we really our avatar is it's kind of one avatar it's wealthier people who are homeowners who want to feel good about themselves when they pull into their driveway that is who we're after
1: i love this and i love that too you're using your gateway service to get in right we're not talking about the landscape services right that's not like what we're using to attract these customers in No, we're using the vanity aspect, as you said, which is really just like keeping your lawn green and making your neighbors jealous at the end of the day. That's that's where we're starting. Then from there, oh, you want, you know, some flowers planted or you don't want to adjust the garden in front of your home like absolutely we can do that we can really make them jealous at that point like this is sure. like definition of keeping up with the joneses if i've ever heard it like,
2: that is exactly <laughs> we are about keeping up with the joneses and yeah we just promote that one service everything else we know people are going to come on board for of services but with this is you know get the credit card uh Proof of concept, show that we're good. We can get them a service, uh, we can get them a quote very quickly. See, we can turn this quote around in five minutes. And so speed kills, we deliver the quote. Oh my gosh, you guys are amazing. You don't even have to come to my house, you mess up with Google Earth, so we can get them a quote in five or ten minutes, then they're blown away by that. And then there's automation emails that follow up that are telling them, oh, by the way, did you know we do this, we do that? And then all of a sudden we can take a client that would be maybe six hundred dollars a year for FERT, and then all of a sudden they're gonna spend three or four thousand dollars a year because they sign up for other services. And so that's kind of our model. I'm just giving away all my secrets here. This is how we do it, and, <laughs> and and it worked pretty well. I'm not gonna lie. Last year we added 612 clients. It was nice.
1: Wow. And those are maintenance clients, or were they? Um...
2: So 404 of them were for lawn fertilization, weed control. The other 208 were for various services. Also, here's the funny thing. We don't cut grass. Zero. We also don't install. We don't install grass. So we do fertilization weed control we do quarterly um bed maintenance we do projects those are our that's our bread and butter is those three things um so we say no to a ton of different things um because we know kind of our profit centers we know i mean if you had your finance person we could, could dive into this Not, I'm happy to go in if y'all want to but we only do a few services things that we are really good at things that we can scale and things that let's see good at scale well i mean those are the main things. And um, <laughs> if you can, if you can go big on those things, this is straight up like good to great, you know, uh, Jim Collins stuff, best in the world at, let's see, what does he say? Best in the world at things that you can scale and things that you're passionate about. So we try to stay in those lanes and then do as much of that as possible.
1: That's fantastic. So just to wrap up my segment, cause I, do you guys want, do you ladies want to kind of let Rob go into a little bit of the finances of that? Okay. So to wrap up my segment, what, um, if you're listening and things that you may have heard throughout the last, you know, 15 minutes here is really invaluable and really important. Rob starts with education and educating by not even coming from the company. If he's within next door, he's really educating as a person, as a neighbor, as a fellow homeowner to his community. Now, if we move that into Facebook, we are educating as a company, but we're still educating. We're not pushing sales. We're not pushing anything, but the little vanity tagline of, you know, if we want to take care And make your neighbors jealous, keep your grass green, like we're the people to call. Now that then transitions to a speedy estimate being sent out, which is very important. We're not letting these people sit around and wait. That sales process does tie into that customer avatar. And that's also a very important thing to touch on. These people that are looking for Rob's service, know he knows that they want this quickly and they want to start this transformation very fast. So that's important as well. And then moving that into follow-up and continuously educating those clients to then take them from that gateway service and build them up into his other services like quarterly bed and then large projects. So thank you so much for just kind of opening the door to the marketing side of things. So I'm going to kind of let you take over for a little bit here and talk about how that does impact the finances of the business, because that is something that is very important. And that maintenance is something a lot of people are talking about right now in all different services.
2: Yeah. So financially um, it's funny. I listened to Jonas's uh, podcast with y'all. And he and I met when we did a financial uh, roundtable event with, with a mutual friend of ours. And it, was, it, was, it ended two days before COVID started, which is so funny. It ended on March 11th, 2020. So that's when I met Jonas. And he talked about that kind of roundtable event and how it kind of changed his life. And it was helpful for me too. So understanding your numbers and the financial side of it is really important. When Once I started to figure it out, I think the biggest takeaway that I had after I spent a few days really doing a deep dive, was my break even cost. That was mind blowing. When I finally which wasn't a hard equation to figure out, but when I realized that I, I remember this, it was forty, it was forty three dollars an hour. It was my break even cost. When I realized, oh my gosh, it cost me forty three dollars an hour to break like to break even, I was like, I gotta charge more for my services. <laughs> it was mind blowing. Because I realized that actually our our um, earned average, our hourly wage collection that year was only uh, thirty-eight dollars an hour. The only reason we're still in business is because we're making money on our on our products, and so I was like, oh my gosh! And so I immediately, when I learned those kind of numbers, I immediately increased my prices, and then we started being a lot more profitable. So financially, you know, understanding your numbers is really important. I, I would say your break-even number is a really important number to understand. And the thing is, most business owners I find undercharge, and they they don't want to, they don't want to have more they, they don't want to reduce their close rate uh they, they don't you know they they want to close 60 70 80 percent of their leads and the truth is if you can close 50 percent, but at a higher number your life is much better also you're probably going to attract better clients that you're going to be able to pay more money long term you're going to keep them around as opposed to just scraping the bottom of the barrel so once we started figuring out our numbers we raised our prices and nobody cared we raised our prices for our current clients, and then obviously it's much easier to raise them for new clients, and that really helped. Now, adding lawn fertilization weed control to the mix was a game changer, and let me tell you why. You know, mowing, most people try to get around 50, $55 per man hour, whereas lawn Mm -hmm. fertilization weed control, you can get 150 to $200 a man hour. So, Mm -hmm. it's just, it's it's, it's a very different business model. So, I mean, if you do the math, it's about five times more profitable per man hour than mowing. And I mean, mowing is easy to get into. It doesn't require a bunch of special licenses or things like that. And obviously it's, the mistakes are pretty uh, minor. If you screw up someone's yard, it'll grow back the next week. Fertilization weed control. Yeah, you could kill someone's yard. It could cost you 20 grand. It could bring down your company, that kind of thing. So obviously the mistakes are higher, but financially it really changed the business. And it's also way, it's super easy to scale. You can measure on Google Earth, you can do this. I mean, it's just, it's the kind of thing now of course that didn't you can't translate uh big profitability with fertilization weed control unless you're doing a whole lot of marketing to to drive those numbers up because it takes because each client is only contributing just a little bit per year as opposed to something like mowing which is maybe three four thousand a year so Mm -hmm. um financially understanding my numbers was a really important thing and i mean i and the intersection of finances and marketing is a really interesting point. Understanding, for example, like your cost per lead, your cost per acquisition, all that kind of stuff is so important. And so for me, my role in the company now is I we have a full time marketing person, but she's relatively new. And so I'm kind of mentoring her as we try out new videos, and we're, we're looking, we'll run an ad, a uh, Facebook ad, and I'll look, okay, how much did each lead cost? How much um, did each client cost? We're always looking at things like client acquisition cost, client lead cost, conversion cost, and we're, we like to convert about 45% of our leads, 45 to 50%, because that tells us that we're kind of maximizing the profit we can get per client. If we were at 60, 70, 80%, that means we're just not charging enough. So for me, my advice to most business owners, if I'm putting it out there, is understand how much it costs for you to break even, and also, and and by all means, make sure that you're factoring in some profitability for yourself. Somebody gave me some terrible advice when I first got started in business and they said, okay, this is how landscaping works. One third profit, one third materials, one third for labor. And and I was like, oh yeah, I ran off that for several years. What about overhead? That's ridiculous, it wasn't even factored in. And so for so long, I was trying to make 30% profit on my projects and thinking, Mm -hmm. oh yeah, I'm doing just fine. When I wasn't, that didn't, ac- that didn't uh, account for paying myself at all, didn't account for marketing budget, didn't account for gas, didn't account for insurance, any of that stuff. And so, shoot, now, for our projects, we try to get 65 to 70% gross profit, and which sounds like highway robbery to some people. However, we're delivering a great service. People are very, very happy, and that margin allows me to be able to hire amazing people. It's given me the freedom to be able to move 700 miles away, and you know there, there's money, there's money in, the, in the kitty jar to do lots of great things, to have, invest in great people, to do great bonuses, to do all those kinds of things. And so having that margin doesn't happen unless you're priced correctly. Um, and of course, pricing has to be, correlate with brand. You have to have a brand that can back that up. But I would say most businesses that I see that are struggling, major reasons, because they're not willing to charge what they're really worth.
0: Wow. And um, I love it. No no,
2: I, I, I get on a tear sometimes and I'll just go for it.
3: And, and that break even point is different for each one of your services, right?
2: You know, we just do an overall break even. Okay. Um, so for us, it, we we don't break it out for each service. Um, but I mean, it, it's not that complicated of an equation to get to. Um but I mean, yeah. I mean, essentially, we take we take our overhead costs we divide it by our direct labor hours, and then we add our average hourly wage to it. Loaded. So let's let's just say that it's five hundred thousand dollars a year is your overhead cost, and you've got twenty. Let's see if we can do some fun math here. And then we've got ten thousand direct labor hours. Okay, then you're gonna have fifty dollars an hour is gonna be your overhead recovery, and then you're gonna add eighteen dollars. Let's just say your average direct labor is eighteen dollars an hour. Um, then I'll add, you know, let's just say 10% of that to cover a few taxes. And so then you're at, I know we're getting kind of granular here, but you're at like, let's just round up to 20 bucks. So you add $50 plus $18 now to add the $2 for the taxes. So now you're at $70 is your break even cost. So that means if you are charging less than $70 per hour or collecting less than $70 per hour on a service, you're actually losing money, which is crazy when you start learning that. And a lot of companies, you know, obviously, the bigger you are, the more overhead you are going to have. But understanding that number and learning it, and a lot of people's numbers is going to be in between thirty and forty-five dollars an hour. But I mean, let's just say, let's just say your break-even number is forty-five dollars. And forgive me if I am losing some people in here, but forty-five dollars an hour. Let's just say that's your break-even cost, and you are out there mowing yards and you are trying to make fifty dollars uh, a man hour on that. Okay, that's cool. It sounds like you're going to make $5 profit. But you're not because there's gonna be a lot of time that your guys are out there where you're not actually building for the time. And so most likely, if your break even is 45 and you're collecting $50 a, a man hour, well, there's all that drive time, your are actually business is gonna be losing money every single year. And so understanding those numbers is so critical. And for so long, I chased top line revenue, and that got me in big, big trouble. I mean, I grew from and one year we went from 600,000 to 1.5 million. And that was the first year I lost money. First year, three years were break even. Then I lost 67 grand that year that I went to 1.5 million. I thought I was the king of the world. I went, my wife and I went and bought a house, put out a huge down payment, bought a truck. I was like, yeah, well, I'm a millionaire. I, I was more broke than I ever had been. And so, but I didn't know that. And I thought that I was so cool. And so it's so stupid. People chasing this top line revenue thing. And when I finally realized it's about profitability, things really began to change Uh, but it was a very painful lesson Um, and we can dive into that if you want to
3: if Megan were here she (laughs) would be saying yay because she hates when people talk you know their vanity number their top line revenue number because she's like it means nothing Nothing." it's worthless it's worthless yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. that's cool sorry Michelle I interrupted I I love
0: it no it's good no I had nothing go ahead Um, well, do you want to talk about systems? I I want to ask you, Rob, a couple questions about systems, because I think that your mindset shift was clearly where everything started to turn around, right? Mm -hmm. So you Mm -hmm. changed your mindset and pulling out some of the things that you did before, like the maintenance of lawns or the cutting of lawns, saying goodbye to those things. Tell me why or how you were able to get your team to say, oh, it's okay, we actually don't do this anymore. Um, because I think that's also a mindset shift for your whole company. How did you deliver that message, cast the vision to your team and make them kind of come along with you in this massive shift in your business? How'd that happen?
2: Okay, it's a good question. So <laughs> when this shift happened, I didn't have a leadership team. And, and I'm gonna use a lot of terminology from Traction. So I know y'all, 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 y'all are fans. So, when I made this change, which was in 2016, beginning 2017, it was just me and one person in the office and a bunch of workers. I didn't have anybody helping me make decisions. Didn't really have management in place. It was just like Rob and, and a bunch of, you know, one chief and a bunch of Indians, if you will, or whatever. Man, it's a terrible analogy. But I didn't have anybody helping me to really run this business very well. And so I didn't really have to consult anybody. I was just kind of like, this is what we're doing. Um, I fired a lot of people. I got rid of, so my first big change was no more commercial bid work. I was doing like Ew. hospitals, and big installs and stuff like that. And when I finally realized, oh, wow, the revenue is massive, but the profit is almost zero.
0: Yeah. At least
2: for me and my system, um, I had to cut that. So I called a bunch of people. I called a bunch of contractors that I had one bid jobs for I said, we can't do this anymore. Sorry, 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 sorry. A lot of sorrys." And Ew. it was like, And it was like, I mean, and I sold all my fancy trucks. Fancy trucks, uh, I can go down. I think that's a big problem. People have these big fancy wrap trucks, and then the owners drive these ninety thousand dollar Raptors, and it's so stupid, guys. Go get an old beater. The the fancy trucks you can get to eventually, but you don't need fancy trucks. That's how you get into debt. That's a whole different thing. Anyway, so what I'll say, systems wise, what I did, so I realized the big commercial bid work was not for me, and that we need to start simple. And go with fertilization, weed control, and simple. And I also grew mowing at first because that was something that was a helpful, recurring revenue kind of thing. So systems wise, I what we put in place first thing we got some great CRM. We use Service Autopilot, so that was really helpful. Before that, it was like you know some like spreadsheet on Excel or something dumb like that. So bringing in a CRM was the first system that was. I mean, bringing Service Autopilot was really helpful. We had an actual software that was designed for you know landscape company so that was really helpful and bringing that into place was really good and then the next really important system was traction reading that book i cannot recommend it more highly uh we started self-implementing and i eventually was like oh my gosh i need a leadership team i don't need just need a, a bunch of dummies a bunch of yes people i need people who are smart who will challenge me who we can make decisions together so i started looking for the best people I could find in my company. And, that, and that's kind of Martha's thing, but so we won't get into too much into people. But so, so we started, I, f- I found some great people and then we started sitting down and having a weekly meeting, which Traction recommends our scorecard meeting. We started looking at some numbers. We just had a little spreadsheet that had, okay, the, how much revenue did we do this week? Okay, what's our close rate? Uh, how much revenue did this crew do? Did that crew do? And that was really mind blowing because <clears throat> really quickly you start seeing, oh wow, this crew over here is underperforming. Oh wow, these guys. Okay, these three, these two mowing crews. We're still doing mowing here. These two mowing crews are doing, you know, an average of eight hundred dollars a day. These guys are doing five hundred and fifty. What's going on? Oh wow, we're actually breaking even with those guys, if that. And wow. so starting to like put those systems in place where we could see and just smoke out problems really quickly was so helpful because before that it's just like, oh, how much money's in the bank account? I'm like you can't run your business like that. Yeah. You have to know exactly <laughs> where the problems are. So we put systems in place, and then it was like, oh wow. And we quickly realized, oh, wow, mowing sucks. Let's stop doing it. Because we're, once again, we had that break-even number. It was like $43. in the mowing, we were making like $44 an hour. And I was like, oh, wow. On a good day, we're making 50 cents. And so um, we just, just <laughs> said, okay, mowing's got to go. So we sold the mowing clients. And it was like, oh, snap. That's going to be a big hole in our revenue. What are we going to do? Oh, well, we're going to have to get more fertilization. We're going to have to do more of this. We're going to have to turn the dial up to marketing. Where do you get money for marketing? Well, you're just gonna yeah. have to hope that it works because we gotta fill that hole in. Yeah. And so we we just started saying no to the kind of things that we knew we couldn't make big money on. And then we started charging more for services that we knew we were really good at. And so we increased our rates for, for projects because we said, we're darn good at projects, but we suck at mowing. Get rid of projects and, and get rid of mowing and grow the projects. So it's a lot of like dial turning, right? When your systems are in place, you can know exactly what's winning and what's losing. Because so many businesses, you're just kind of running this on how it feels and this and that. And that's BS. I'm a very emotional person. And I know that I don't want to run my business off of emotion. So I run everything on a spreadsheet. I mean, it's like ridiculous numbers, 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 inform everything. And so when it comes to systems, my advice for anybody is read that book traction. I mean, if you've got at least a couple employees, read that book. It's fantastic. I know you all all follow it. The systems ideas in there. And if you follow one thing, it's just that weekly scorecard meeting. Figure yeah. out your your weekly metrics, look at them every week. And, you know, if you could track it, then you can improve it. So that's my big thing for systems uh, would be traction just (laughs) has so much to it, a good CRM and then following everything that that book recommends. Um, you can ask me any questions you got. I just went on a tear.
0: No, it's okay. Uh, Would you consider yourself the, um, the visionary?
2: A hundred percent. I am not an integrator. I am terrible at that. I have a great integrator. Her name is Callie. She's sitting about forty feet from me uh, on the other side of that wall. Um, I am all over the place. I'm an Enneagram three. I'm very fast moving. I'm Colby Quick Start. I am like a hundred percent all the time, which means that uh, sometimes I'm not good at the details, um, but I'm I'm good at tall cl- climbing to the tallest tree and saying we're going that way. And so I'm the visionary. I'm the one that comes with all the ideas. And then a lot of the time my team says, that's a terrible idea. That's a terrible idea. Oh, Rob, that's a good one. Let's go for that. And so I get people fired up and then we execute on the ideas that are really effective. Uh, but yeah, visionary, 100%, that is me. I would be a terrible, terrible integrator. But I was. The thing is, I was an integrator for a long time because I just had to wear all the hats. And that's why the business struggled so much. Exactly. Uh, once, exactly. once I figured out where I needed to be, I, and it's humbling surrounding yourself with people that are smarter than you or better than you in certain areas. And there's the people side, and we'll get to that, Martha. But, I mean, once I realized, Rob, you suck at this. Okay, bring in some people who are good at that and let and let them stay in their lane and don't get in their way. Um, and so that was a humbling thing that a lot of business owners don't want to do is bring in great people who are better than them at certain things. Um, they want to surround themselves with a bunch of yes men, but that's terrible. And so, anyway, I know my lane. I'm good at marketing. I'm good at getting people excited about things but the details and all that kind of stuff like i don't put the scorecard together but i do look at it and analyze it because you know that's not my thing
0: that's so great That's.
1: So i just good. have to say i think yes. you're our first male guest to know their enneagram between oh. you and three like first male guest to know oh their gosh guest i'm a three two that. my
2: wife is a nine i can talk enneagram all day long i just
1: yeah. drop that test in the comments for people that don't know mm. what an enneagram test is very important is a form of a personality test Super um, important. I'll kind of let Michelle take it back over, but just. It. That. No, it's <laughs> great. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Okay. One last question. Um, and, and it comes to testing because I think this is so important. Did you test everybody in your organization? And if so, kind of what were the tests? Cause there's so many out there. What were the ones that you have found in your, you know, your journey that have worked the best in kind of building that leadership team?
2: Mm. Are you talking about Enneagram or just any sort of testing?
0: Any, any sort of personality test. I know Mentioned Quick Start as well. So, you've done Colby. It's a so great which question. One, or are there a combination of them that you're finding that works? What can people kind of do research on right
2: now? So, in the office, I've tested everybody for Enneagram. Um, it's not something that we do for our field guys. Now, yeah. for our field guys, part of the uh, job applications is so funny. Um, is we had this one page disc assessment, DISC. Y'all are probably sure. familiar with that. Uh, Dominant, you know, in, I think it's Intuitives, S is uh.
0: Support supportive
2: supportive or something like that or um Mm -hmm. see his conscientiousness anyway it's a one page disc assessment and it's like 20 questions and so people will go through and fill it out now half the test is just can they follow directions and do it correctly which only 10 percent do Only 10% do. If someone fills it out correctly, no matter what their score is, I know, oh, this is someone who can follow directions. So that's part of the test is can they fill it out? And then the second part is which one do they score? And so if we have a lawn technician, for example, who fills it out and they're really high on the conscientiousness level, that's good. Because that's a detail-oriented person that we really want in that role. If they're super high, if I've got someone that comes in that's really dominant, I know this is probably going to be a problem. Um, so that the, the one-page disc assessment, which I got from my friends over at uh, Dale Carnegie from doing some Dale Carnegie training, that's a pretty helpful little page um, that I can send to you guys if you want, or you know, we can drop in the links, but. That little one-page assessment is something that we do put in our job application. Like I said, most people don't even fill it out correctly, so it doesn't work out. But the ones who do, um, that is a helpful assessment. I do. But in the office, everybody, Enneagram is something that we test. And it's not, not like there's a good or bad one. It's just good to know where people are. Yeah, exactly. um, so that's a really, I don't know, those are the only two tests that we really use. Okay. Um,
0: we man. jumped all over the people segment, so now it's perfect time to hand you off to Martha. Yeah, you.
2: y'all. I'll Go just it. get rolling. If you start me up, I'll just get going. I
0: love it, Rob. man. And it—it's <laughs> like
3: I've thought. Oh, I want to talk about that. Oh, I want to talk about that. <laughs> so I don't know. Um, you know, the testing. I will say I've been working with a guy uh, from Perception Predict. And they're building basically a a service technician prediction type test. But it's more about, truly, it's more about, does that employee give a shit? Or, you know, that's really, it's not a personality thing. But I will say this, you should be using some kind of test to when you're making those determinations on who you're gonna hire as like the last filter, because um, it, otherwise it's just kind of a, <clears throat> an arrow at the dartboard, you know, you need more information. And I will tell a funny story from yesterday. I was doing a demo on Quality Driven, showing him some of the disciplinary stuff. And he, go, he stopped me and he goes, just, you know, you know, he basically said we're wasting time because he goes, I'm not firing anybody. I don't care what they do. I'm not firing them because I need people. And I thought, okay, all right. But wouldn't you say, Rob, that's what keeps you in that rabbit hole where you can't grow if mm-hmm. you just keep that kind of mindset. And that, I hate to say that, but I'm not going to eliminate the problems.
2: No, it's a limiting mindset. It'll just keep them there forever. Yeah.
3: Yep. Yep. Um, so, what I really thought that I wanted to talk to you about is we could go so many directions, but let's talk about kind of the thought behind your your podcast and your how you built a lifestyle business and like when did that switch because you're in a very enviable position that so many people would like to get there, but they haven't been able to they haven't been able to make that switch mm-hmm. in their mindset.
2: Okay. So I, I can I can take you there. Um I'll tell you a couple of things that kind of teed it up. Number one is I remember going to a service autopilot convention. It was like the first one that I went to. It was probably in twenty seventeen. And there was a speaker that went up there. I don't remember who it was. And he said, look, you can build a business to sell or you can build a lifestyle business. And everybody around me was like, build a business to sell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sell for 20 million. And I was like, lifestyle. I like that. <laughs> you know, and I was like, yeah. You know, so like I, I got that idea kind of then of like, I kind of picture myself, you know, like kind of chilling on the beach or whatever, you know, I was like, man, like you don't have to build something just to make a bunch of money, and, and everybody thinks, you know, build a business, make it big, sell it, and then go live on a yacht or whatever. It's like, eh, I mean, whatever. What if you can just build a business that you don't have to be a, a slave to all the time, and then you can do whatever the heck you want? So that kind of teed up that idea, and then I read the book For Our Work Week by Tim Ferriss, and I was like, yes, 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 yes. And so both of those ideas came when my business was, like, in major debt really struggling i was working 90 hours a week falling asleep at eight o'clock p.m when you have people over super embarrassing got a young kid uh at the you know like i had a new baby i mean life it's very stressful but i had this idea of like oh right now everything sucks and i hate my business and i'm jealous of the guy who's pushing a lawnmower but here's an idea the idea was planted in my mind of this i didn't just want to build get out of debt i want to like do that and i'd never seen anybody do it before except for my buddy Garrett that I met at, a, um, at, at Talladega, he, he would he'd kind of uh, was moving that direction. And so I was like, all right, how do we do that? And so I started reading books and doing research and all that kind of and implementing a lot of things we've talked about. Um, but a really important part of it was the people side of it. And so, you know, finding really good people, and it's hard. Um, and we have three core values that we hire and fire by, and that's, they spell dot, disciplined, ownership, and teachable. OK, so those are the things that we are all about. I'm looking for people who are disciplined, who take ownership and who are teachable. And those are, can be kind of hard things to figure out. Uh, but sometimes you can sometimes you can sense it pretty early. So anyway, I started recruiting really, really good people for for the company and kind of learning how to interview people and kind of how to read them so getting better at that. After you hire and fire a couple hundred, you get better at that skill. And so I started finding some good people and bringing them into the fold and I started paying them well. Um, which was important, and so i I got a really amazing person in the office about three and a half years ago, and she 's now my integrator and she was and the business really began to take a really big positive pivot when she was brought in. Um, she brought a technological angle to the company, very tech savvy just took service autopilot and really ran with it, but also had a lot of wisdom about people and so and also she really took over the culture thing and kind of took ownership of hey, we're going to have an office that feels good. We're going to, uh, you know, Friday afternoons, we're going we're gonna to have a little bit of beer in the office. We're going to have fun together. We should start doing company events, things like that, and kind of building this family-like culture. And so that was really cool um, and, and some really good ideas. And then I started recruiting other I – just, I just started finding better people. And a lot of it was finding guys who were within the company, kind of guys who were in the field, just start off as a helper, and kind of building them up. And kind of investing in people before they would even showed that much promise, but kind of leaning into them and saying, you know what, they've done well in a few areas. Let me just give them a little bit more and see how it goes. Kind of leaning into it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, people either step into that role or they don't. And a lot of it is just kind of, sometimes you're taking a chance on people. And so started doing that more, started giving away a little bit, giving more responsibilities to people as they showed promise. and And some people stepped up and it was beautiful. And so a lot of it is just you know giving up control right having systems in place where you're monitoring everything and then letting people make mistakes letting them get out there they say you know if someone can do a job 80% as well as you then let them do it it's a delegate and elevate thing so starting to you know write down our processes and how we do things and then saying okay i'm going to i'll tell you a big transformation was when i got an estimator this is really important Ooh. so most business owners spend a lot of their time once they have a few employees estimating and you know, busy season, springtime landscaping, you're going to be down there. You're going to be estimating all the time. And, and you, and you, all your estimates are going to be two weeks behind. You're going to be running around and checking on jobs, estimating, doing this, doing that. And then you don't do the finances and all that crap. So, I mean, first thing was first, of course, I got somebody in the office to help with a lot of the administrative stuff, but then it's like, can I ever train somebody who can actually estimate landscape jobs? Well, we're not talking about fertilization and mowing, we're talking about like 10,000 landscapes. I was like, man, if I could ever find someone to do that, that would be incredible. I don't know if I could ever trust anybody to do that. And I, I had a guy who worked for me for several years and he was kind of artistic and he was kind of good. And one day I was like, you know what? Maybe I could teach you how to estimate. And I brought him on to a few jobs and he did a good job at estimating. And some of them at first weren't that profitable and I had to go back and kind of tweak it. But eventually it was good and now he's way better than I am. And so a lot, so much of it is that trust factor of like, okay, I'm gonna find somebody, I'm gonna trust them. I'm naturally an optimist, right? So I naturally give people the benefit of the doubt. Jim Collins says, you know, may your first bid be trust. And so I open that bid with trust. And sometimes you get screwed when you do that, but you're going to live a very crappy life if you, don't, if you don't trust people on the front end and allow them a chance to shine. And so I, I gave this guy a chance to shine and he stepped into it and he did well. And I, and I coached him and, and <clears throat> eventually he became an incredible estimator. And now he, that's his job full-time. All he does is estimate and design. And so and I haven't done an estimate in years. And so a lot of it is just that idea of like, I'm going to find a person, I'm going to lean into him, I'm going to trust him. And then I'm going to back them up and coach them through it. And so that's my main job, besides helping with the marketing, is you know coaching my leadership team. It's six people, uh, besides me, in the office. And I'm not. I'm not involved at all in any daily operations, but my job is making sure that those six people know exactly what they're supposed to do. And I kind of coach them along the way. I do what's called MBWA, management by walking around. Kind of walk around, pop into their office, talk for five (laughs) minutes, how's it and half of it's personal. How's things going in your personal life? What's going on with you? You know, understanding and kind of feeling like like letting them know that you care, but also having making sure that they know what do you expect and then helping them to consistently helping them win kind of this leadership from the bottom, this supportive leadership. Um, so I don't know, uh, you can you can ask a question. I'm just kind of, I just go on these rants.
3: <laughs> Good. Oh, I love it. Um, so you hit on something that I want to go into further. So you talked about letting people make mistakes.
1: Mm-hmm. And
3: what I see a lot of people do is when they, you know, first off, It's really, really, really painful for most of us to give up that control and, you know, trust other people. But what happens is when somebody finally does that and then a person makes a mistake as they're going to, they just rein it back in because they made a mistake and they rein it back in and... For you all listening, if you have that problem, know that you got to take. You know, you got to be able to step back out and know that you make mistakes as well. And you didn't quit operating because you made a mistake. So you really have to take that mindset with whoever that you're you're passing that to. And did they learn from it? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, that's the that's the big thing. And the other thing that I want to say that you you talked about, like, um, I don't know where it is, but your core values, the discipline, ownership, and are they teachable? Mm -hmm. I did something very similar in training. So I was hardcore in training. And I, you know, we were strict, strict, strict. And that's really not my personality. I'm a pretty laid back person but in training, strict, strict, strict. And I had a a version of what you have for your discipline ownership teachable. And I tried to weed those things out during training. Are are they these things? Mm -hmm. And then, and like over 50% didn't get through training because we still made mistakes in the hiring, but- Mm -hmm we weeded out a good 50% in training and then those that made it through now is when I'm starting to hand over some of the trust and let's, you know, let's educate and build. Um, so I, those are really good things that you, you, you talked about so many old nuggets that I wanted to circle back to make sure people heard those things. Um, So are you, you're moving 700 miles away, Rob? Is it, I know you're an adventurer. So is it Colorado or are you sharing? It's
2: it's Greenville, South Carolina, which you would think is actually closer (laughs) than that. But it is, it's, yeah, I think it's around, it's like 704 miles. Yeah. So um, I'll kind of get to the lifestyle thing and how, how this happened. Yeah. So Tim Ferriss in for our work, he gives these ideas called mini retirements. Mm-hmm. So he says, don't wait till you're 65 or 70 years old when your body's falling apart to do big trips and do fun things. Do it when you're young. Figure out a way to do it. Take off for a month or two when you're young and go really live a life. You know, they say it takes eight days for your body to really relax on a vacation. And most people only go for seven. So, like, you got to go for longer than that. And so my wife and I were like, heck, yeah, let's do that. So first time we went was 2021. It was February. And we went to Hawaii. And so I um, have been writing a memoir. So funny. I started writing a memoir at 32, which is just hilarious. I've read uh, Matthew McConaughey's book, Green Lights. I was like, I'm gonna do that. And so, and I, and I had a lot of time on my hands, you know? It's funny, 32, young kids, business owner was like, Hey, I got time, you know? And so my wife's like, hey, let's go to Hawaii. She loves Hawaii, you know, who doesn't? And she's like, you can start writing your book. And I was like, oh, perfect. So we went to Hawaii. It was a last minute trip. We booked it like in maybe a month ahead of time. It was in February of 2021 kind of COVID stuff so a lot of things are kind of affordable really cheap plane tickets we go to hawaii for the month of february peak whale season unbelievable and we leave and we come back and like the company was flawless like they hired a few people fired a few people gave some people some raises we made money and i only worked a few hours a week i just sat in on that call uh, on wednesdays at 2 30 and i was like oh wow the company can survive a month without me this is really cool and so it was a really cool proof of concept And then uh, last year we went to California, Santa Cruz, and in the month of August, which sucks in Louisiana, but in California, it's great. August is really (laughs) nice. So learn how to surf. I mean, did some amazing things. Yosemite, all the good stuff. We were an hour from Big Sur. Came back and this time, instead of like, oh man, that was such a good trip. It was like, oh man, I can't live in Louisiana anymore. I'm ruined. And so we (laughs) came back and we were like, we can no longer, we had such a great month doing so many cool things and once again, didn't have to work very much, so it was like a, a sign of like, yes, the company can survive well without robbing the office every day. And number two, we need more adventure in our lives. And so we we're like, oh, damn it, Louisiana's ruined. We can't live here anymore. And so, I mean, I bought a paddleboard. I was like, we're going to paddleboard here, you know. And so we we started researching where's somewhere. And we were like, okay, California is so far away and so expensive. What's the closest thing to California? The Carol- is, is the Carolinas. And so we somebody said Greenville. We went to Greenville. We were there for three days. we were like, okay, this is it. And so we bought a house two months later. Um, bought a house.
1: envisioning you like paddleboarding in the bayou right now. It's
2: it's okay. It's just it's not as pretty, and it's, there's a lot of gators. So we went to visit Greenville in uh, and we got back from on August 31st. We got back from California, October end of October. We went to Greenville four days. We made an offer on a house within three weeks, and we bought it in December. We bought a house downtown. We still, we're going to keep the house here and keep the business here. We're going to Airbnb our house out, but we're moving. Adventure, trout fishing, all that stuff. We've already recruited several friends. They're, they're already moving there, too. Uh, wow. And uh, I'm actually helping. a One of my friends actually is quitting his job in Florida. Um, I'm going to be consulting with him to help him buy a fertilization company um, down here in Louisiana, which he will run remotely, and he's going to move to Greenville, too. Uh, wow. So. But, yeah, so we're moving. Um, I told my leadership team uh, about four months ago. They're like, they like, they were complimented by it. They were like, oh, you trust us that much? Um, and so okay. I, um, that's the plan. So, yeah, moving, moving to Greenville for more adventure. I'm not planning on starting a landscaping company there. I'm not planning on, like, growing. The thing is, here, here's my angle. I'm not trying to grow an empire. I'm not trying to be a gazillionaire. I want to have time to do what I want to do, which is hang out with my kids and take them on adventures. I like fly fishing. I like traveling. I like cycling. I like hiking. I like that kind of stuff. I don't ever work on Fridays. I work a little bit during the week, and you know my life is pretty low stress these days because I built a, a put a, a company together with great systems and great people, and so that gives us the freedom to do whatever the heck we want. I'm writing a book, I started a consulting company, I've got a podcast. People are like, how do you do with this stuff? I'm like, well, i got a really good team that kind of takes care of everything. Everybody's like, you must be selling your company to move to Greenville. I was like, nope, just got a great team. They're like, your team's gonna fall apart, everything's gonna fall apart, how, how could you possibly do that? I'm like, you haven't met my team. And <laughs> I'm like, we're gonna be just fine. So it's that's this totally like revolutionary idea to most people, what we're doing. But really, it's quite simple. It's just putting in place the things that you guys talk about, marketing, systems, people, finance, having them all dialed in. And heck, I could live in Antarctica. It doesn't really matter. If you got great people in place and great systems, I mean, you know your numbers. It doesn't matter where you live or how much you're there. So that's, that's kind of my shtick.
1: So good. I love it. <laughs> this is Martha. You're muted. I'm muted, Martha. That's Oh, I- yeah,
3: I muted because oh, I thought I was going to sneeze. That's oh. why I went off camera for a minute. <laughs> um, no, I, I love that. And there's another thing you said that I want people to listen to. You said your leadership team isn't resenting it. Mm-hmm. They're, like, flattered that you trust them that much. And if you have the right people in place, that's the exact reaction you're going to get. If you don't have the right people in place and you haven't built the right team, then yeah, maybe you do get resentment and the everybody's not working towards a common goal. So I love that.
1: Um, I love the like mini tests too. Like it was like one month here, like yeah. one month there. Like, yeah. it's, like you didn't just like jump into it. Like, no,
2: oh, no, I'm it's test and concept like slowly giving away responsibilities for example when i went to hawaii i couldn't be the weather guy anymore i used to be the one that would wake up at 6 a.m and say hey it's raining today we're not going to come in well when i went to hawaii that just i couldn't do that anymore and so naturally somebody else picked that up and now they're still doing it and so that wasn't something i intentionally passed on it just happened um and so other things just kind of like over time you just give people and look like (laughs) People are going to make mistakes, but like I would too. And so that whole making, giving people the freedom to make mistakes thing, it's this teachable moment. We go aside, we say, Hey, look, that didn't go so well. Let's talk about what happened, but here's the problem. You're not the problem. I'm not the problem. Here's the problem over here. Let's look at it objectively. Let's move past it. And so, yeah, it's just, it's fun. You know, once you've got really good people in place, it makes it really fun and the opportunities are endless, you know? And so like I said, for me, it's about lifestyle. Uh, different people want different things in their business. But for me, it's about how, how can I have the most free time possible um, so I can do whatever the heck I want. And if I need to go dial in, you know, right now I'm like really diving into the marketing right now or change up something to Facebook. So I've been in the office a lot more lately than before. And that's fine. But, you know, probably in the next few weeks, I'll dial it back, hop on my bike more. I'm getting into the fitness thing, getting into triathlons, doing all that kind of stuff. I'm like, yeah, I can spend a month just doing that. It's cool.
3: So good. How often are you planning on coming back
2: to in between every six and eight weeks? Okay. For probably three or four days. That's the plan. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. That's great. Basketball. So, um, okay, uh, we'll end, but I do want to say before we got on air, I was giving Rob a hard time about why he's an hour from the com- my conference and he's not coming and he's sending, uh, Stephanie. And you had a really good answer is because you empower the people who work for you and build them up. And I love that. And so many people are afraid to send their, you know, someone from their management team because they might leave them. They might learn something and then leave them. (laughs) And it's again, always crazy to me. I'm like, oh man, I'd hate to, have a team that you think, you know, is ready to leave tomorrow as far as uh, obviously you haven't created a place they want to stay. Mm-hmm. So it, well,
2: I'm sure you've heard that quote that says, um, you know, what if I put so much training and energy into my people and they leave? And the response is, what if you don't and they stay? Yeah, It's like, okay, I, I want my people to succeed and thrive. And if that means they need to leave here and start their own business, that's fine. I'll support that. You right. know, but I, hopefully while they're here for three, four, five, ten 10 years, hopefully this is an amazing place that they love and they can become the best version of themselves. And I, I hope they're here for a long time. But if it's not best for their personal growth for them to be here, I want them to go. Yeah. You know, and so I want them to feel that I care about their future. And I know that if they feel that and and that they really believe that, then they'll stick around as long as they need to. So right. it's, it's I a risk, that. but I, I'm fine with it, you know?
3: All right. Well, it's homework time it and hey, I'll let you explain the homework.
1: Cool. Awesome. So thank you so much, Rob, for just really opening up and sharing with our audience in all areas that we talk about from marketing systems, finances and culture. Um, okay. What we're going to do right now is we are going to go ahead and assign homework. So this is what makes our podcast different. We do want you to be able to execute and put into action what you heard Rob talk about today. So we ask you to just choose one of the three to four pieces of homework that are about to be given to you so that we were being very laser focused on what's going to move the needle forward in our business and what we can put into action ASAP this week. So marketing homework, we talked about a lot, like we talked about customer avatars, we talked about how Rob's using Nextdoor personally to really influence and bring in um, education to his local area without being pitchy and salesy. We talked about Facebook, but one of the things that I don't think I've ever assigned before is really narrowing and focusing on what your service is. That is your like initial service that brings in customers and clients. So what service do you own or do you have in your business at this point that you are marketing to start to bring in clients to then start upselling? Right? So for us, it would be in a power washing example, It might be a roof cleaning. We for us, roof cleaning is very popular in South Florida. That's what we push. That's our heavy push to bring in new clients. But every time we bring in roof cleaning and one of my sales technicians goes out to talk to a client, they talk about their pavers. They ask them how their pavers are, how they look, have they been sealed before? Is there anything that we can do to help them with that? So Our initial service to bring in a client is roof cleaning, but the amount of upsells that we've gotten into paver sealing because of that initial client is twofold. So that's what I want you to focus on this week is really look at your marketing from an aspect of, am I just throwing everything in the kitchen sink out to the world and saying, these are all my services and this is what I need you to focus on, or are we really narrowed in and knowing exactly what services to market to our ideal customer?
0: Beautiful. And I will go next because we don't have Megan here. So your systems homework is to check out traction. I'm going to put the link to traction's EOS worldwide library. So I would encourage you to buy a book and just get started and look at it as a system in your business. It has changed pink collars a thousand percent. So I can tell you personally how great it's been for our company. Um, So please ping me if you have any questions. I had somebody sit in on a level 10 meeting last week. It was hilarious. So I do have visitors come in if you want to know more. Um, and so that's that's my homework for systems is Checkout Traction. And the link is in our private group on Facebook. Nice. And the people homework, there's so much to choose
3: from. But I'm going to say pick one thing to delegate. And pick something that's on your plate that you feel you know, is, I I don't wanna use the word burden, but pick something that's on your plate that you can pass to someone and you have to give them proper education before you dump it on them, but educate them in that role and let them make mistakes and see how that feels To watch that person grow in that responsibility because it doesn't have to be a key office person. It can be a key field tech too, you know, depending on the the task. So I challenge you to delegate something. And then Rob, do you want to add any homework?
2: Financially, I think you should figure out your break-even number. I think it really matters. So I'll remind you all about the formula. So you want to figure out your overhead. So all of your overhead, that's your marketing, your, you could put your fuel in there. If you wanted to your rent, all that kind of stuff, that number divided by your direct labor, uh, number of hours. Okay. And that's going to give you your overhead recovery per man hour. And then you add your average hourly wage. And I put about 10% on top of it to cover in taxes. And that is your break even number. I'm pretty sure that formula is right. I'm just shooting them from the hip, but I think that number is correct. Does that sound right, Martha? Um,
3: Sounds right to me, but we need Megan. (laughs) Yeah.
2: And so understanding how much it costs your business to operate, because when you realize that overhead costs are such a, you know, the bigger you are, the bigger they're going to be a part of the company. Um, When you realize how much of a factor is in there, you're going to be like, oh, snap, I need to charge 25% more for my services. And having that confidence to raise those prices, Man, that because once you understand the numbers, you're going to immediately raise the price because you realize that if you don't, you're going to go out of business. So understanding your numbers, getting that break-even number. um, That's your homework for me.
3: And I do think that's a mindset thing because it's one thing to raise your prices and feel kind of greedy. It's another thing to raise your prices knowing that I'm not even making any money unless I raise my prices this much. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it it really is helpful.
0: Yep. Awesome. Well, Rob, we always stop with a quote for the week. And so I found one while we were chatting. I was fortunate enough to actually be in a room with this guy about 10 days ago. And he says, a leader is one who knows the way, goes the way, and shows the way, and that's John Maxwell. He's an awesome author and, and incredible speaker. So, thank you so much, Rob, for joining us. This was really helpful for our listeners, and you dropped a lot of good value bombs on us today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It I enjoyed it. So good. Yeah.
1: yeah in, you, in case anyone does want to get in touch with you, Rob, what would be the best way for them to reach out? I did go ahead and drop your podcast. Um, in the comments
2: here. So what would be the other best way for them to get? Yeah, robtrepandall.com. So, and we could probably put a link on there. So um, yeah, that's, that, that's website. We, I, I do some consulting. So I, I help small business owners, uh, especially in the landscape world to kind of achieve more of a lifestyle of business. So robtrepandall.com is the best place. R-O-B-T-R-E-P-P-E-N-D-A-H-L.com. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome.
0: Thank you.
1: Awesome.
2: Thanks,
0: Thanks guys. Thank,
1: Thank you. you. Everyone have a great Tuesday and we'll see you next week. Bye,
0: everybody.
1: Goodbye. Bye. 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 Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thanks so much.
0: Club for Business. Join our
2: Facebook group where we have weekly homework, accountabilities, and an awesome community to help you fight for your business. Facebook.com slash Fight Club for, as in the number four, business.
0: Fight Club for Business.